Hello, I'm Mohamed Uldoshik. Welcome to Invest in Pet Care, the podcast for investors and entrepreneurs in the pet care industry. Hello everyone, welcome to this new episode of Invest in Pet Care. Today we're going to speak about a special journey for pet parents, which is the death of our animals. And we're going to speak about pet hospice. And I'm very glad to receive today a super successful entrepreneur that didn't do one exit, but two of them. And to do and to speak about these topics, I'm very glad and honored to receive Shay Cox. Good morning, Shay. Good morning, Mohammed. I'm so happy to have you today. Um, we met at the Leap uh, Fellowship uh, this week. We had a great week uh, with all the entrepreneurs. And uh, what I'm very surprised about your your profile is you built several companies and you didn't have one exit but two of them. I think it's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. So I think the purpose of this podcast would be to talk maybe about what you did and we get to come back to uh, the different company you built and how you made them successful. And then uh, talking about this new project that you have, right? But uh, before uh, before we start in all of this, I will do exactly what I do with uh, all my guests. I ask them to introduce themselves. Okay, so I'm on. Yeah. All right. So I'm I'm Shay Cox. I'm a, I guess I'm now called a serial entrepreneur, right? I love building and creating things. Uh, it was quite a long journey to get here with various different uh, paths through my life. It wasn't a traditional straight path. I uh, started out in fine arts, got a, almost got a degree there. I actually, um, a month prior to graduating, hopped on a one-way bus to L.A. and uh, dropped out of school. And that's where I found myself later in nursing school, finally in vet school. So let's get back to this because very interesting. I really like to understand what was the path and the journey. So how did you end up in nurse school and what was the driver that made you go there? So <laughs> I always wanted to be a vet ever since I was about six years old. And that was just what I thought I was going to do when I grew up. I went to college and I took chemistry and I failed chemistry, and I took chemistry again, and I failed it again, and I actually took it a third time and failed it a third time. So I, uh, I didn't think vet school was for me, so I went to art school, the exact opposite of science, and uh, actually looked to get a degree in ceramics and sculpture, and realized there wasn't much of a career path <laughs> for a <laughs> potter, and uh, that's when I just dropped everything, went to L.A., and realized there wasn't a very high demand for ceramicists in Los Angeles, so I had to figure out <laughs> something to do, and uh, that's when I decided to uh, go on a path of nursing. Uh, through art school, I was actually a, a home health aide, so I worked with uh, families and did nursing care in home, and I think that's sort of where the whole hospice end of the journey uh, happened, and uh, thought, well, maybe I could just be a nurse. Turns out to be a nurse, you need chemistry. So my nemesis came back to me, and uh, but I uh, was determined to, to pass chemistry. So I bought a little baby chemistry book uh, from a parking lot sale because I was so broke. Uh, so I scraped up five bucks, bought a, bought a chemistry book, and um, began to teach myself chemistry. Something clicked finally. Ended up passing chemistry, yay! <laughs> fourth, fourth time's a charm, and <laughs> ended up. Uh, I got accepted to nursing school, but then I started taking prerequisites for vet school while I was in nursing school. I worked in home hospice for uh, about ten years in the nursing on the human side of medicine, but also uh, then went into emergency and critical care as a veterinarian, spent about a decade there, and then things really began to shift for me as, uh, as an ER vet, noticing how much people were struggling, trying to understand uh, their pet's condition, how they were, you know, what to do towards end of life, and then that's when I first uh, built the first business, which was a hospice and palliative care practice in 2012. What, Time flies. What was the driver behind this in... How did you come up? I, I guess your experience helped you to help you understand that there were a need in the market. Can you take us through your process in your mind that made you decide to build this business? 
Yeah, so gosh, back in 2012, really all that was available was more in-home euthanasia. And I didn't want to be an just, just, and I say that with quotations, an in-home euthanasia vet. I really wanted to help pet parents before that death event. It was really important to help them along that journey of coming to terms and, and, and really creating the best quality of life for the time that remained for those pets. And to do that, you would do that through hospice and palliative care. So I could tell and, and I knew what a difference we could make for those months, you know, whether that's six months, eight months, or weeks leading up to euthanasia, we could really improve not just the quality of life for pets, but for their people too. And so that was really important to me to, to come at it from from that direction. Uh, so I started my practice within a specialty hospital, and the idea was I wanted to see hospice and palliative care within specialty hospitals. Uh, you know, we have internal medicine and oncology in specialty medicine, but there's no hospice and palliative care, and it just was such a glaring miss to me because it, it goes hand in hand with those, you know, with those specialties. And so I was on a mission to to bring that to specialty hospitals. Uh, took a while to get there, but finally got there with uh, the exiting to uh, Blue Pearl Specialty Hospitals, which is a, you know, a Mars company. And what is the use case for a pet owner like that has a dog that is aging? How do they know about the service that you're building and what was the services that you would bring to them? Yeah, so it was modeled very much uh, along the lines of my experiences with human hospice. So very a collaborative approach to care. So it wasn't just a veterinarian guiding care. I mean, when you look at a typical veterinary appointment, pet parents are lucky to get six to 10 minutes with their veterinarian. And if you think about the massive amount of conversation that has to happen around planning and understanding disease and what are your options and you can't do that in in that short of time so the premise the whole idea behind the business model was we started with offering three-hour appointments so I was told there's no way that could be financially sustainable there's no way you could build a business around three-hour appointments and I was like you know I, I I'm gonna try and so To this day, um, you know, 20, 11 years later, we still have about three-hour appointments. People just need that amount of time. So you're really filling a, a void. And when people see the value of it, they don't mind, you know, needing to, the, to pay more for an appointment. But we have a, a full multidisciplinary team, meaning the doctor drives the medical portion of it, but we really utilize our our nurses or our registered veterinary technicians, and they do most of the care. So we have uh, seven-day-a-week nursing support for families. We have the doctor. We have a care coordinator. We, uh, we really focus holistically on not just the pet and its problems and disease, but the, the family members as well. What kind of support do you need? What are your resources? Helping them get through get through all of all of the things that you need to think about at end of life. And one of the things I'm really trying to, or was trying to change, I'm, I'm out of that space now officially as a Friday, but um, is, you know, not waiting to engage in hospice care until, until there's nothing left that can be done or till the, till euthanasia is pending. It's so the use case to go back to that would be any pet that's diagnosed with a chronic disease, a terminal disease, it could be simple, an aging pet. You know, how do I make these last couple of years as awesome as they can be? And that's the palliative care part of it. How do we focus on pain management? How do we focus on other areas of health? So it doesn't, hospice it is often equated to just death or euthanasia, and sure. it's so much more than that. And give us some example for example i mean it's when 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 i thought about this hospice of course i thought yeah but death but i understand it's not the case what kind of profile did you have and what kind of family would you have coming to the service uh, you the whole spectrum um 
early on, uh, you know, I can start to see a shift finally. It was a lot of people that said my vet said to come to hospice because there's nothing left we can do. And then euthanasia would happen within a week and we weren't really doing hospice per se. But as people began to better understand what it was that we offered in the referring veterinary community, we were getting referrals much earlier. So any use case you can think of. So a pet, you know, a typical example, a pet goes into the emergency room, gets diagnosed with a hemoabdomen or blood in the belly from a tumor on the spleen. Often pet parents are left with two options, euthanize here in the hospital or have a three to $6,000 surgery to remove the spleen. And you, if it's cancer, you have on average four months to live. But this kind of diagnosis is a, is a gut shot diagnosis. You, my pet has what? Wait, what? <laughs> and oftentimes pet parents are forced to make this really big emotional decision in the moment. And hospice gives that third option. It gives another option where you, know, you, you don't have to decide right there in the moment. We know death is coming, but let's, let's pause. Let's support, stabilize a patient, pet, send them home, and, and then work through what comes next. Uh, because oftentimes when families have to make that decision in the moment, they're left with guilt. Did I do this too soon? They don't understand it. It affects that next cycle of pet ownership. There's so many cascading effects. It gives them a really bad experience with the veterinarian, with the you know, with the experience that they had. It's it's pretty. It, it, it's <laughs> just like every pet needs to be offered that third option, and that was a mission. And who did you run the company with? Uh, myself. So how did so you manage I to <laughs> handle all this by yourself? <laughs> Uh, right. Um, I was one of those solo founders uh, all up until about probably the last nine months of of the company pre-exit. And it was, boy, it was a lot of just learning on the fly, University of Google. I, I am... I am not a business person. Most veterinarians are not business people by training. So I, uh, I was learning on the fly and doing what just seemed right, felt right. Uh, so yeah, um, my biggest gap uh, was in the financial end of things, meaning how do you prepare a company for exit with the questions that are asked and preparing financials and making projections. And that was just more out of my realm. So I brought on a partner towards the last end of it to help with that. Did you plan to make an exit or it came out of the blue? I, in 2017, I went to the first veterinary innovation summit and I was just a hosp, just again, quotes, um, a hospice veterinarian with this business and, and of the, three hours, uh, yeah. consultation. <laughs> and the team had grown to I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 by that time. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, that was what I was thinking of doing. And then when I went to the innovation summit, it was really focused heavily on telemedicine and, and just internet of things and thinking outside of, of the box. And that was really my first exposure to true innovation conversations. And it just, it blew my mind. I, I left, I left that conference. Um, I literally wrote an entire business plan on the flight home from the Innovation Summit on a telemedicine platform to bring hospice more nationwide. I think that was the very the next sort of iteration of the business. And if you look at hospice, about 75% is non-medical, 25% is the medicine. But I was like, boy, if I could cleave this non-medical part off and use do, telemedi do telehealth, um, teleguidance for pet parents, I could solve a problem of veterinarians don't have enough time, that six minutes, to talk to, to pet parents when they need it most. So it's causing veterinarians to get burnout. It's causing them to feel bad that they can't provide the support that their clients need. And then it helps the, helps the family. So that was sort of the next pivot where I added that to it. Uh, I applied to leap that year based on the telemedicine platform alone. And I'm not sure if you explain what leap is later, but um, 
and I didn't get accepted. And I applied again the next year and didn't get accepted. But I knew that the path, that was the path I wanted to go on because of the direct connection to Mars and Blue Pearl because I, I wanted hospice to be in specialty medicine. And so uh, that was the path that I took to, to get there. But until 2017, I I had, that was not on the, the roadmap as far as uh, anything planned. So you managed to get in the ra radar of Mars, and how did it happen after you did the program? So the LEAP program, which was incredible, it's that three-month accelerator, and the key thing there to me was the, the networking, the, the, they, they know pretty much everyone in the industry, so if you need an introduction, they could do it, and uh, Ben Jacobs was one of my mentors in the program, and he said, hey, you should connect with Daryl Shaw. Um, he's the CEO of Blue Pearl and the founder of Blue Pearl, and this would be a great conversation. So Daryl and I had a, a conversation, and he's like, yeah, let's do this. He's like, I, I, this is part of the vision. I see it. it it's the, he was speaking what was in my mind, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I found my people. Um, he, he understood the importance of this and that whole full pet life cycle and the blaring gap of, of end of life in that, you know, in basically in veterinary medicine. So quite a visionary because, you know, you think about a big corporation taking on something that feels a little intangible and it's more of a soft service per se. Um, he, he bought in. So I, we had conversations and within a couple months of completing leap, that was the, the first exit. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> so did you, did you keep working with them or you just like left from one day to another? I, I did. So, you know, part of an exit is often they want the founder to remain on board. So, um, I was to, to remain on board for five years. And, uh, as of last Friday, as I sort of alluded to as my, my last day there, but so I'm leaving it three years, but it's because we're at a spot where the, the model's built, it's reproducible, it's, I have a successor, an incredible successor, Julia Spade, Dr. Spade, um, she is ready to take the reins for, for the next evolution of, of things, so um, I'm at a point where I've, I've done what I set out to do, which is bring hospice to specialty medicine and got the, got the infrastructure, the bones done. And then now I'm, I'm sort of at a end of the road where I could, you know, do something, um, further. So uh, time, time to, time to build something new. That's great. I, I, I'm curious to know if, um, your plan of using telemedicine for the 75%, mm -hmm. which is not medical, mm -hmm. did you guys use it? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I am a huge telemedicine advocate, and um, anything in the telemedicine realm is something very interesting to me. I think we are, as veterinarians and veterinarian medicine in general, it's it's a whole another soapbox podcast about how antiquated we are with uh, our views on telemedicine. Um, but it's it's a lot of resistance, which makes zero sense to me when you consider access to care, cost of care, and I. I like I said, that could be a whole conversation of itself. No, especially for this case, to me, makes a lot of sense. Yes, thank right? you. Yes, <laughs> it is. I totally understand. For the pet, it's very hard, like to diagnose a pet when you don't see it. But when it comes to support for human in a situation where it's like you need someone in a support, I think it makes a lot of sense. And pets are just at that stage of hospice and palliative care. It's symptomatic management only. You are not. Pet parents don't want more diagnostics. They don't. They don't want a lot of invasive things. So really, you're treating symptoms, and you don't need to touch a pet to treat a symptom. Um, so the alternative is pets go without care, which is is just shameful. And what kind of protocol did you have for the pet parent for the seventy five percent that you mentioned? With regards to with regards to how can I help you? Uh, better understand the situation of your pet and help you like live with what's happening and what's going to happen? Yeah, so we have a, a virtual quality of life intake, so it really shifts more to the quality of life conversation, not necessarily the medicine, uh, but it's really a four-page intake form that 
um, our doctors and nurses use that to help frame conversations. So it's pretty organic based on what the pet parent needs. So we have priming questions to, to better understand situation, but we often just listen. People just need listening to and, you know, helping to communicate all of all of the thoughts that they're having. And uh, so I think that's one of the biggest keys of of what it was we offered. I think it's great. I think it's great. And it's a problem that it's in every country in the world where you have pet parents, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's, you know, part of one of the things I'm most proud of um, on the on the telehealth front that uh, I developed within pet hospice was a virtual nursing department. So we, I was like, why do we have to you know, there's a veterinary shortage, there's a veterinary professional shortage. And I was like, why don't we think of just decentralizing the team? And if we're just really there to support, guide, and um, and such, why do our nurses have to be in the physical location of where we are? So we literally had nurses from every time zone in the United States. They all worked from home virtually, but they supported, this core group of nurses supported all hospice patients nationwide. So we were able to just increase efficiency, cover all time zones, give a really good career, a work from home career for nurses. Uh, and I just, it, it's worked out so beautifully. Because it's very great for a nurse to finally work from home. Yeah, and, yeah. and still take care of pets and people and, you know, the, to, nurses are so good at just communication and client education and so much of that is what we do and so it it uh yeah it's the first of its kind which i'm really excited about so to go back to the journey you finally stayed three years mm -hmm. and then yeah you have all your successors and everything like was clear and you could like just start new thing or going to new areas so what did you what did you do <laughs> as a, so the last so I stayed three years the last year of my three years I I just missed that building and creating and that's where the second company came in um, I joined as a as a co-founder to help the companion animal euthanasia training academy it's a very mouthful of words but CADA is the short form of it um, Dr. Kathy Cooney who's just brilliant brilliant veterinarian in the end of life space she started this company back in 2017 and she was at a point where she just really needed a partner to help her scale rethink the financial model uh, create new revenue streams and that's where I came in so I joined forces with her uh, in from 20, June of 2022 to 2023 that was the second exit and I spent that year uh just rethinking rethinking that model and uh, helping to scale it on a larger uh, front, which then led to the goal was for when I joined to have that business exit um, within a year. And we did it almost to the date. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, so it was initially the plan when you joined yes. to exit. Yes. Wow. So it was, I, I had a, I'm like, we can do this in a year. Um, that was the goal I set for, for us together. And, and that was the goal that Kathy had as well. She's, I just, you know, I'd love for this to be a year less. And so that's what we went in with. And we just, yeah, did re rethought things and, uh, got it to a place where we, Could sell it. What is what was the offer of this company or the service that they were providing? It's online education, online end of life education. So it is uh, an online platform that offered 40 some hours of euthanasia end of life training. So teaching basically teaching better veterinarians how to do a better job at euthanizing, how to be a better communicator at end of life. Like as in vet school. Four years of vet school, we literally have less than two hours of end-of-life education in that whole curriculum, yet we're expected to go out and, like, one of the most important jobs we have as a veterinarian, which is ending life, um, we have the least amount of training for, and zero training as far as, you know, how do you talk to clients around this, and 75% of veterinarians graduate without ever having administered a life-ending medication. 
yet you're expected to do this this service that has such gravity to it um, without that training. So there was a that there was another one of those things where boy, there's a there's a big gap here, and there's a lot of other things to to cater like. Um, you harmony it's a program going into hospitals and evaluating reevaluating their whole top to bottom end of life procedures what are your protocols how do you check clients in how do you check clients out to really elevate the experience for the client which obviously makes it better for the vet cuz 14% of clients won't return to a vet if an end of life event was handled poorly that's a great stat, and so the customers were vet clinics, I guess, or veterinarian. Uh, all veterinary professionals, so Got veterinary it. clinics, veterinarians, uh, paraprofessional staff. What What was the biggest challenge for you? I mean, like you, you managed to do it in one year. Congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> what was the biggest challenge for this year, and how did you overcome? For this year, meaning like the year that like from you wanted to make an exit in next year. Mm-hmm. So, what did you do to make it successful? What was the challenges that you like went through, and how did you manage to get through that? Yeah, a lot of it was just looking at how things were currently being presented and switching the model around. So. For example, the model of Cato was very much sponsorship-driven. Uh, so when you go to an investor, sponsorship dollars don't really mean anything. Um, it's not a it's it, it's not technically revenue. So I wanted to flip that. So instead of instead of saying, "Hey, big company X, can you sponsor us for fifty thousand dollars this year?" We flipped it, and uh, the approach I took was offering these partner packages, which means, hey, big company X, what would give you the most return um, on your investment? What is? What are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And let's put together this package of these menu items. We can go to 14 vet schools and teach the upcoming veterinary students. That costs X amount of dollars. Um, we can go to your hospitals and provide education for your you know, for your um, staff, that costs X amount of dollars. So now we've gone from sponsorship to actually here's here's a menu you can choose from, build your $50,000 worth, but now we actually have revenue instead of sponsorship. And so just that simple way of looking at things differently allowed us to, to flip things around. I wonder what is the secret sauce that are the common things that you saw in your two exits? that any entrepreneur should know about? Uh, boy, so much. I, I, You know, I really think a lot of the secret sauce is just being passionate about the field you're in. Uh, it, not, you know, not being in something just because, oh, I think it's going to make, you know, an X amount upon an exit, but because you so believe in that mission and what it's doing and that, if you feel that it comes through when you're talking to investors, and you know, as we heard a lot of the on the panel yesterday, a lot of investors are very interested as equally in the founder, if not more, than they are the idea. So, I think the secret sauce is really just being passionate about what it is you're in, and and being okay to say that you you know you don't have something figured out, um, which we also heard. Uh, you know, there's plenty plenty of times that I've said I'm like, ah, yeah, I have no idea, and um, you know, I'm leaning on you to to help me figure that out. Um, so that's great. Now you you did you to exit, and again. <laughs> <laughs> Hop them back in. Yeah, you hooked in <laughs> entrepreneurship. Now you starting a new business. Can you tell us what you're doing? What is the plan, and uh, what are you trying to put in the market? Yeah, well, the plan is I'm still figuring it out. All so, right. <laughs> yes. so I'm, uh, you know, over the past few years, especially just you know post COVID and um, just the way the the world has gone. The the next problem that I've seen and now I'm trying to solve is just the the astronomical cost of veterinary care is almost limiting. It's limiting people and pets from getting just the basic care that they that they need, and that was something that's been increasingly bothering 
me as a veterinarian uh, for the past five years or so, you just become more, you know, more aware of, of certain situations. And um, it's something I've been putting a lot of thought to over the past couple of years. And then coming towards this exit, um, I was like, okay, you know, what, what do I want to build next? What problem do I want to solve next? And so it's the affordability of care. So, um, I started spot vet and the idea is that it's a vet going on the spot. So we're meeting people where they are, um, or where they want to be. And the idea is to peel back all the overhead that a veterinary clinic has and focus on providing low-cost medications and affordable preventative care. So niching down to just the basics and doing things um, at a pet pop-up or or other places so that um, if we can offset the overall cost of um, veterinary medicine by providing a lower-cost alternative for just a couple of things, um, it can save pet parents three, $400 a year which allows that money to go towards other costs of care and veterinary medicine that they might not be able to afford to do. But at least we're getting pets the core fundamental care that they need at a price they can afford. How would you start this journey? How, yeah. So I just started this this journey a month ago, and that was really you know thinking about the, the MVP of it, putting together a business structure, infrastructure, uh, th- trying to figure out the logistics and operational side of things and I'm due to test it next month. So, I mean, it may come off great or it may completely be like, oh, here's 20 things I didn't think about, which is, you know, often often happens. But, um, but what was interesting is even before a launch, there's already just very organically over 200 people who are signing up to be first in line to get get this and it and that's just in my local community and when I think about that it it just speaks to to the problem that's out there and so I don't you know obviously one person can't fix it but if it's if it can start to create I don't I don't know like a change in the way we approach medicine in some ways then like that would be such a win because Preventative care shouldn't have to to cost you know four or five hundred dollars for just basic care, and it's like it doesn't have to be. I mean, it can literally be you know a quarter of that and still be a profitable business if you take away the overhead, which is our approach. What would be the spot for the test? Uh, that's gonna be my <laughs> uh, well a winery <laughs> so that'll it'll be local pet friendly businesses in um, in my local community is where we're where we're really looking to pilot this and one of the first places that we are going is is a pet pop-up at a winery and uh, it's 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 an interesting model also because if we can go to place pet friendly businesses it's a really interesting thing to promote a business to promote to bring people into their business like this is a cool idea look at you know come come to the winery we're having a pet pop-up and our you know vet on the spot's going to be here and um you know get a physical exam and then that will allow you to get you know really low cost medications for the rest of the year and it, it's just something new and you know the idea is to make it fun and bring fun and community back to medicine I mean, that's really the heart of what we're doing is trying to bring community back because we've gotten so far away and disconnected and veterinarians are beginning I think to get a a perception of sadly of you know they're just in it for the money or you you hear that all the time on social reviews and they don't care about my pet they just are in it for the money and how great would it be to flip that narrative and say oh my gosh my vet's trying to save me money and then have fun with it and community and education. And so I'm, I'm excited about that part. It's funny because there is like different trends. I was in California three months ago and I saw these clinics where you have a subscription fee. Mm-hmm. You, have, you pay a monthly fee mm-hmm. and you get there. You took, again, completely different path mm-hmm. where people has like still big overhead and limit with monthly payments, you say, no, no, we don't go this way. We want a more human thing mm-hmm. where people are going to meet. 
can you take us through uh, the difference or the different trends you see in the in the US market and uh, why did you decide to go completely different? Yeah, and I wouldn't say it's completely different. It's it's almost piggybacking off of a trend that um, that we're seeing and you know, when you look at a typical vet clinic, uh, a one-stop shop, you have to you have to arm supply your hospital with everything: surgery, dentistry, um, you know, every every type of machinery, lab, that type of thing. Um, and what we're starting to see is these niched practices where uh, dentistry only. And so, if you have a dentistry only practice. Now the amount of cogs that you need gets shrunk down by 80%. Now you only have to have you know dental x-rays, and you only need to have this type of equipment, this type of medications. And so now you can provide that same dental for $800 instead of two or $3,000, which some of them cost. Again, it makes it, it, it makes it unrealistic for pet parents to take care of their pets. So people are rethinking how do we how do we deliver the care and I, I heard a saying a long time ago that always stuck with me it's like the riches are in the niches like if you just focus on one thing and do it really well just then you know instead of trying to, to trying to be everything so when I was looking at that model I was like huh can we take that one step further can we strip that down even more what what do all pets need and should have and what you know what's a way that we could approach it to bring that down and that's where medications came up and preventative care and i'm like boy you don't need a brick and mortar for that you don't need equipment for that you need a supplier and you need a veterinarian um and that's easy that's easy to scale and the other interesting thing is when you're doing something that's so fun and community-based um, veterinarians want to be part of it. So, you know, we talked about a gig economy, and I think this is this is the perfect thing for that gig economy. Um, how awesome to go work for four hours in a winery, you know, playing with happy pets and happy people and, uh, you know, doing that for a day um, and getting a break from that clinic fatigue and and just doing something different. What what would be the, the plan for the future if the pilot works well what would be the vision and where do you see this company in the next three years yeah so the the, the current roadmap um and again we'll see how how that goes but is to start local and work out the kinks so i have uh a i have a beta a group of beta testers that i'll be going through the process with this so it's just a a group of 20 30 people that will practice on um, just you know get feedback on on the consumer customer experience and such then we have our soft launch which is that group of 200 people who have signed up waiting to you know waiting to get in line for this and then we'll begin to market and actually open things more up and the idea is to stay pretty local for the first few months then go north and south to Los Angeles and San Diego and I'm already getting requests for Los Angeles and big pet events and to, to be there. So that's exciting. Like people are seeing this and they're like, this is really cool. Like, you know, could you come to this event? And it would be great if we could talk. And so um, I think that uniqueness to it makes it compelling also. Um, then once we get that worked out, then it's to open things more up to any pet in California. We won't be able to do the pet pop-up because that obviously is the in-person component, but we're able to establish a virtual VCPR, which is a veterinary client-patient relationship. And California allows you to do that electronically now. So we'll be able to do an elect video exam and then uh, for any pet in California, and then we can pr prescribe, fill any medication that they need. So, uh, so that's that. Then after that, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> have you have you already planned the exit for this case? No, right. I have. I right. have not. I this might be. You know, this might just be the 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 last stop, so yeah. to speak. Um, getting, I think, s slowing down is is a. I use that term loosely, but you know, kind of slowing down a little bit 
from that perspective and just getting back to community and um yeah staying staying more more in my area but i have no idea for our listener of the podcast invest in pet care what trend do you see in the u.s or worldwide where entrepreneurs should look at or investors yeah boy i i mean there's so many buckets of things to to look at um you know we saw a lot of those things this this week but i think affordability and accessibility is a huge one um obviously something i'm i'm passionate about trying to help solve but it, it has to things have to start swinging the other way um you know we're getting and to me a, a looming crisis is pet parents are needing demanding uh, lower cost of care yet everyone on the veterinary professional side is demanding needing a higher wage so where does you know where is that fracture point between you You can't lower costs and raise raise wages. And so I think that will be an interesting problem that needs to be solved within that affordability piece. Um, you know, there's a lot of telemedicine companies and things like that. So I think it's less about, well, that's, a, that's kind of a... <laughs> A sideways thought, but it's it's less about like an investor opportunity, but more just speaks to the need that we we need to come together as a profession to um, not be so divided on things that are going to solve problems. Um, I think anything in biologics, stem cell research uh, is going to have a the next wave of impact. Those are things I'm excited about. That's great. I always ask entrepreneurs who are working crazy, how do they manage somehow to stay focused and like take care of themselves? So <laughs> <laughs> what is your day-to-day -day routine to take care of yourself and manage to be like relaxed, less stress and stay sharp? Yeah, gosh, you know, that's, I think that's a tough one for every entrepreneur. Um, my husband calls me a steam train. He's, he's like, oh, you're on, you're in steam train mode where you start to, you just don't stop. You just kind of full speed ahead. So I'm, I am not a good example of that. Um, I would say probably, uh, the morning I wake up, um, I spend the first hour or two. I usually get up at 4am. Um, I spend the first couple hours with coffee and actually just scrolling through LinkedIn where I can see what's, what's on the horizon. What are people talking about? I, I find that's very creatively stimulating and it makes me think of a lot of different ideas. So that's my, that's my food, my brain food for the morning. Um, and then I just work, but I work from home. So You know, I have my dogs, I look out the window, I go for a little walk um, if I need a break, um, start drinking wine at three o'clock, that helps. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's my self-care. Definitely part of the roadmap for me with SpotVet is to have more self-care on the, on the horizon because it's easy to lose track of or, you know, you can do something well for like a week and then you fall off the wagon and pretty soon you haven't done anything for yourself in six months so how do you improve yourself or get better at something that's a good question um from which context i mean like in you for your professional life or from a human perspective how do you get better do you take classes do you read like books or do you go to school oh uh, you know yeah all of the all of the above um <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> and it's it's and it's a uh, you know like something as simple as you know the LinkedIn like just learning and then if something piques your interest uh, you know generative AI and and AI was something I'm just you know like like most people are really fascinated with so I just start learning about it. There's so many free online courses. Um, I go to conferences. I I love digital graphic design and so I went to um, Adobe Max, the creativity conference instead of a vet conference. And that was self-care. I'm like, this is the first time I'm doing something not veterinary related. And it was awesome. Um, took a took a course on um, at MIT online for innovation ecosystems and uh, corporate innovation. And because I was in a corporate world and I was struggling with innovation within the corporate environment. So I'm like, well, 
let me learn how I could maybe make the corporate landscape more innovative and bring learn something to bring back to this large corporation. So, yeah, all of the above. Any books that you love or you would offer to Christmas or to people <laughs> you, you love? Uh, so there's fun books. Um, I love I love marketing books. Uh, marketing books especially are marketing. So I'm an audiobook addict. I don't I don't read anymore these days. Um, I listen, but uh, there's a lot of great audiobooks in um, uh, Donald Miller's a really interesting guy. He speaks very simply, but I think his formula for how to talk to clients, how to get clarity around your messaging, how to how to present um, what it is you do. He's he's fantastic. Business Made Simple is one of his books. He's got about four more, and I've enjoyed every one of them. What if you met uh, yourself when uh, you were 15 years old? If you had to meet your younger self, what would you tell her? <laughs> uh, ooh, that's 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 a good question. Um, don't worry, it's okay to be short. Um, <laughs> I would tell her that. <laughs> uh, from a business perspective, I, uh, you know, it's interesting because when I think, you know, what I if I had to be a if I had to do this all over again, would I be a veterinarian? And I used to think, no, I wouldn't. Um, I would do something that is probably in the pet space, but I wouldn't go to vet school. Uh, but I've actually changed my mind on that because, and I was having a conversation just, just actually yesterday with um, a gentleman, and it's such an interesting career where you can do so much within this profession. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably tell myself to make sure you take care of, of your of yourself goes back to that self-care. I think that's probably the most important thing you have, you know, you have one body, um, that's all you got, but you have, you can control everything else and the opportunities around you. So just take care of that as you move, you know, move through yourself. Is there any podcast you listen to? <laughs> uh, podcasts that I listen to a lot of marketing podcasts. Again, Amy Porterfield's, uh, marketing podcast, um, Mr. Miller again is another marketing podcast. I like um, entrepreneurial podcasts, like just to listen to see what other people are doing. Uh, I often don't necessarily subscribe, but I look at who's recommending a certain podcast and then I'll listen to it. So I, I, I don't have anything on rotation, but I keep an eye out on LinkedIn on what's being what's being recommended. Who do you think I should invite for this podcast to have a talk the way we had it? Hmm. I can give you a laundry list of, of great people, especially if you move into that. the uh, virtual, the wor virtual way of doing this. Yeah, I think it's, I'm going to go virtual. There's yeah, there's a lot of people doing a lot of incredible things. So let's stay in touch, and I will give you an right. entire list. I appreciate that. What is the best advice that you've been given in your life or in your entrepreneurial journey that you can share and can be helpful for any entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast? Boy, that's that one would probably require a little more thinking. But just what comes to the top of my head is is you follow. It sounds cliche, but follow your follow your heart. If you if you do what you love, you can't go wrong. Like it just if you're if you're happy at what you're doing and you're passionate about what you're doing, do it. Like even if it doesn't make sense or just like you, there's no way you could make a business model out of this but it's I was so passionate about it I'm like just follow that follow your gut um one of my mantras and favorite sayings is um leap and the net will appear so just leap and if you're doing the right things for the right reasons the net will appear underneath you I like that thank you so much for sharing this uh, this advice what can I wish you for the next three years What do I wish for? No, what for can I wish like for you? What can I wish for you, for your business, for your company, and a great thing that can happen? Uh, let's see. Um, personally, uh, that I slow down and smell the roses a little bit um, instead of steam train. Uh, professionally, that this is this shows that it's possible 
to deliver veterinary care at a price people can afford and still be a good business model. And that from a community perspective that and, and just a, a, a profession, uh, profession perspective that this is something that others see and it catches on and it gets replicated. And even if it's not me doing it, that other people start to see that this is a way to really help pets, the profession and, uh, and the people. What would be uh, for you the definition of care that you can relate to pet care? I would say that it is mutuality. Um, so often when you think of care, and I look at this from a, the lens of a veterinarian, it's the veterinarian saying, here's what's wrong, here's what we should do. And to me, care is having that mutuality between you and that client, that pet parent, and say, you know, what are your goals? What What do you need? Um, here's what we can do. Let's let's think about this together, and have it make sense for the person and the situation, as opposed to, you know, well, we can't do this because, you know, what we, you're not allowing me to do these three tests. Therefore, I'm not going to dispense a pain medication or whatever that may be. But really, to me, care is care of the pet but care of the person and part of that care of the person is that care needs to be delivered collaboratively and as, as a partnership and I think oftentimes that uh, that gets missed yeah it sounds like it's very important to involve the person you have in front of you and make like a more collaborative approach 100% all right thank you so much for sharing your inspiring story your great journey and uh, I'm very glad we had this talk. I wish you all the best with this new company on the spot. And I hope that uh, you give us some good news for the next one. Awesome. For the listeners, thank you for, for your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, I, I say you uh, for next time. So stay tuned. Thank you. Bye. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you want to support us, you can like us or share the podcast. If you have anybody you think we should interview for this podcast, please feel free to reaching out to me at LinkedIn directly at Mohamed Uldeshik. I hope you really enjoyed it and I see you next time. <laughs>